Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our key verses are John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us to say, yes, Lord. I pray that we would look to the ultimate, to the eternal, and have the foundation there that lifts us up, even if things are very dark and difficult here and now. Give us the faith to trust you in the midst of those circumstances. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It's often asked, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty person? The implication there is that life is always half full and half empty. It's kind of even, but that's not the case, is it? There are times when Things are just going really well and and life is full and there are times when it is so empty that we're just barely hanging on. So our message this morning is not about just being optimistic and being a glass half full kind of person. It is far deeper than that. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. There's a foundation there that enables us to survive even when things are darkest. If we just took took these verses and had them kind of as mottos out there, it'd be kind of like a a greeting card thing, that it's a a nice statement. Then we, we think of Jesus and eternal life with this context. For this verse in John chapter 11 grounds us so that even when times are very dark and very difficult, we can give thanks. And we can be held up. Our lives can have a sure foundation that will not give way in the worst of times. Often at Thanksgiving, we think of blessings. In your bulletin, you have a a brief history of Thanksgiving Day is the entry. I'm going to really kind of pass by much of that because we had a ministry moment this morning. It's too late to, to develop that much. But even our Thanksgiving days were never because everything's fine. In Europe, they had days of, of Thanksgiving, and often it was after wars where both sides would give thanks to God. When those days came to America, there would be it then the Jamestown uh, Colony and Virginia ends up claiming the first uh, Thanksgiving, right? You, you know that? Actually, the French and Spaniards were here in the Americas proclaiming days of Thanksgiving uh, before that. But it's, it's for survival. In Plymouth, almost half of the colony died. And they gathered for a Thanksgiving harvest feast because they survived. When we get to the presidential proclamations, um, Congress asked uh, our first president, George Washington, to declare a, a day of thanks. But there was political opposition then. There were those who said, why should we do what they did in Europe? Both sides were giving thanks to God and they were fighting each other in wars 
Others said, should the federal government have this power over the states to declare a Thanksgiving day? Now, if we had 24-7 hour news about what was going on then, we think ideally, oh, back to the founding fathers. Everything's always been tough. Our theme this morning is Thanksgiving for God's, give, for God's blessing in the midst of a mess. Let me repeat that. Thanksgiving for God's blessing in the midst of a mess. How can we get there? Thanksgiving was established as the last Thursday of November with, by Abraham Lincoln in the middle of the Civil War. It was moved to the fourth day of uh, November because in 1939, at the end of the Great Dep- Depression, uh, Roosevelt and Congress thought, let's give more uh, weeks to the Christmas season. So they moved up to the fourth because the last Saturday was the last day of November. Always tough times. And we're called to give thanks to God. Are we trying to put on a happy face and just be optimistic in the midst of difficulty? Is that what Thanksgiving means to you? Did you come in here this morning with hearts that are just overflowing with thanksgiving to God? Even the best of times, aren't there things that weigh on us? We need in worship to be lifted up and have our eyes raised to Christ who claims, I am the resurrection and the life. And we find in him a reason to give thanks no matter the circumstance. One of our own, Janet Newman, is in the hospital right now uh, fighting cancer. Kevin, her husband, was in the early service. We don't know whether she is so weak because of an infection, because her immune system is down, or whether this is actually the result of her cancer. We're praying for her. When push comes to shove like that, And the earthly blessings are really depleted. Is there a foundation where we can give thanks? Kevin Kevin will be here tonight at our Thanksgiving dinner. He told me he has things he wants to share in our open mic with Thanksgiving dinner. I look forward to that. Come come to the dinner tonight. We're going to walk through this passage. This passage is itself the story that unfolds. We're just going to read the passage. You're going to find that there's so many places that you can identify into this passage uh, that it's just unbelievable. Chapter 11, verse 1. In the first section, we read about the deliberate delay of Jesus and the death of Lazarus. That's the circumstance that's addressed in this chapter. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. We read about that in John chapter 12 as he came to Jerusalem to go to the cross. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We do need to stop here and pay attention to this. Jesus did not say, Lazarus will not die. And then, oops, he did. 
He said, this sickness will not end in death. See, that's the, that's the claim we can hold on to. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. We do not end. Our story does not end in death. And neither did Lazarus. Jesus said it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Remember this verse because it means that God is sovereign over all of this. And when Jesus deliberately delays, he knows what he's doing. And he's going to glorify his Father and himself by demonstrating this miraculous power that we read about later in the chapter. He intends to do this. He's not just scrambling. And it says in verse 5, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Hmm. What did Mary and Martha think? What do you think when you cry out to God because of some great the issues, some great difficulty. You're praying for relief. And it just seems that God delays and he delays and he delays. Don't we, we conclude you know, one of, of three things. One is God is there and he, he really cares for us, but he's not sovereign. He, really, he can't do anything about it. He's wishing the best for us, but other people are messing things up. That's not right. Or we think he doesn't really care. We hear the religious words at church. We hear God loves you. We hear about praying and God answers prayers. But he's not answering mine. He's delaying. We don't even say delaying. We just think he's not answering. Or we think maybe he's not even there. Maybe this isn't working. If real faith and trust in God who sent his son to die and rise again from the dead is not there. If you're just trying out your faith to see if it'll help you fix your problems, it has no root. And you'll be disillusioned with God when he doesn't come to you the way you want him to. Then he takes the initiative. He says to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews tried to stun you, and yet you're going back there? What are the disciples thinking? I I know they're worried about Jesus, But who are they really worried about? They're going to go back there with him. Where they're going to kill Jesus. That's kind of dangerous. So they're they're reluctant. They're followers of Christ, but they're reluctant here. And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he is seized by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Can't you just identify with the disciples saying... Say, what? What do you mean? That was kind of a mysterious thing for Jesus to say. But in essence, he's saying, when things are good, it's easy to trust me. Yes, we're going back to Jerusalem where they tried to kill me. And that puts you in danger too. And he knows already that Lazarus is dead. And Mary and Martha and the friends are in a very dark place. He said, it's time to go there. That's when people stumble. Now, people can stumble when times are good, too. You can be tempted by the good things to trust in them and be satisfied with that. But Jesus is saying, let's go to the hard place. Let's go to the darkness. And let's 
show the power of God and be glorified in that. After, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Dot, dot, dot. And we don't have to go to Jerusalem and be in danger. Neither do you. Jesus had been speaking of, of his death. But his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Jesus referred to death as sleep because it's not the end. There is a, an after. Uh, that Just like after sleep, we wake up. He's going, he's, he's going to raise us all at the end. And he's going to raise Lazarus back to this uh, life in this chapter. But Jesus, they didn't understand that. So Jesus told them plainly, I'm up to verse 14. Lazarus is dead. And for your sake... I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Boy, this is where it really gets kind of hard. How how can Jesus say, I'm glad I was not there? He knows what he's going to do. He wants to do more than the extraordinary of just getting there in time to raise Lazarus back up from illness. He's going to demonstrate he has power over death itself so that it validates his promise of life eternal. That's what he plans on doing. And he's saying, I'm glad for the opportunity to show it in this circumstance. Now, if you're in one of those really, really dark circumstances right now, and it doesn't have to be physical illness. It can be broken relationship. It can be something that just seems impossible to you. You're, you're really suffering. You're really hurt right now. It can be really hard to hear that God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. It can be hard to hear God works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. It can be hard to hear Jesus say, I'm glad I was not there. But we don't know the whole story. We don't know what God is going to do. It's in those darkest times that he calls on us to trust in him. And when we trust in him in the darkest time, what do we trust him for? Just to fix the here and now? That can disappoint Jesus is leading up to something far greater. Now, I love Thomas. Thomas is in our next verse. He's given the label Doubting Thomas because he was not with the disciples to see Jesus in his resurrection. He's the one when the disciples said, we've seen him, he's risen. Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I see the nail prints in his hands. And so he's given the label Doubting Thomas. And when Jesus appears and Thomas is with them the next time, Thomas just falls down on his face and worships him. Here, Thomas is still doubting, but he's also kind of showing heroic faith. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Hmm. He's a loyal follower of Christ. His doubt is expressed in that they're out to kill us there. Jesus says, let's go. He says, Lazarus is dead. We're going to have to go. Let's stick with Jesus. Let's follow him. But he loses the joy of following him because he forgets the whole thing. He thinks that to follow Christ is going to lead to death instead of to life. How many times do you say, I'll do what's right, but it's impossible. It is killing me. I'm in this broken relationship. How can I love this person that doesn't love me? I should exp- my spouse, if anybody in the whole world ought to love me, 
and he or she doesn't. How can I love such a person? Okay, Jesus, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll hang in here, but I'll die. Now, that's just one circumstance. There are so many other things we could apply this to. Really, I'll follow Christ. And this is a, if you're convinced that it's going to be so bad, think of how heroic that faith is. You're not going to desert him. You're going to follow him. You're going to do what's right. But you lose the joy of doing that. Can you imagine if Thomas had said, let us also go and see what Jesus is about to do. I don't want to miss out on that. Can we have that attitude? So this first section, Jesus deliberately delays and Lazarus dies and things are pretty dark. So he he goes back and in verse 17 it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them and the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. In this section, have you have put in your outline the frustration and faith of Martha. I'm glad for that because often we're frustrated and believing at the same time. What a realistic description of us. And Martha is frustrated with Jesus. We see it because what does she say when she gets out to him? She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Can't you hear the scream in that? But she also has faith. She says, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Remember that because later that's kind of funny because she doesn't follow through with that. When it, when it really is about to happen, she, she doubts. But she is saying, even now I know God, God will give you whatever you ask. She's not saying, I believe you're going to do this and I believe it so, so strongly you have to. Praying with faith is not the name it and claim it. Praying with faith is not saying, God, here's what I think is right. Here's what I want. Here's what I I, I desire. And I'm believing so hard that you're going to do it. You have to do it because this is a prayer of faith. That's the name it and claim it gospel. And that's nowhere in the Bible. That's saying, God, I can make you do what I want. But the opposite is to pray without faith. It's to say, I know I'm supposed to pray, but you're not really listening I don't think you can do anything about this. This is an impossible circumstance. I just despair and give up. But I'm supposed to pray. God doesn't answer that kind of prayer either. We're to pray with faith to say, God, I know you can. We pray for Janet Newman. I know you can. But we trust you know best. That's why we pray your will, not ours, be done. That's the prayer of faith. And Martha has an extraordinary faith here. She's saying, I know that this can happen. God will give you whatever you ask. But she doesn't yet know what the will of Jesus is. She's frustrated and she has faith. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And I think she probably said it kind of that way. It's like, yeah, right, I know. That's where we identify most. You're here in church. You're here in church uh, to worship God the Sunday before Thanksgiving. If you come in really dry in spirit, if you come in with heavy hearts, if you come in with all sorts of good reasons to be down, with difficulties where you say, it's really hard to be around people giving thanks because I'm just not there. And you hear in church, Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Yeah, right. I, I know that. I, I believe it. That doesn't help me today. I think that's kind of the way Martha responded here. And Jesus didn't try to comfort her by saying, wait, 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 Margaret, I'm going to fix this too now. I, I'm going I'm to raise him back to life so, so you don't have to be so, so uh, depressed about this. He underlines and emphasizes, no, this is what counts. It is the ultimate that matters the most. It's the foundation of life that can never be taken away. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And remember that I am is an echo of the claim to be God himself. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Now you have to read that last part. That doesn't mean we'll escape physical death. Unless Jesus comes again, every single one of us will face physical death. What it means is, even though he dies, yet shall he live. And whoever has that eternal life, it never ends. Whoever so lives in that way, beyond death, will never die. Do you believe this? In these verses, these two verses, there's a a claim, a promise, and a call from Jesus. The claim is, I am the resurrection and the life. The promise is, he who believes in me, whoever believes in me, will have eternal life. And it's eternal. You never perish. That's the promise. And then the call is, do you believe this? Martha responded, I think with a a, a submissive faith, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And in that trust, that faith, that acceptance, she was comforted in the ultimate. She probably was thinking, I really wish that you'd been here to keep my brother alive. And yet there is that sweet trust where she was at peace with Christ because she didn't stay and plead with him anymore, strive with him anymore, argue with him anymore. There was just a trust in him. And she goes back to find Mary. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So, same place, same scene. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord... If you had been here, my brother would not have died. The scream is louder here. She stops there. 
She doesn't go on to say, but even now I know that God can do whatever you ask. She doesn't keep rest. She is just in the pit. She's at the bottom. Does Jesus say, go away, you have no faith? No. Perhaps you're even beyond Martha's point with frustration and faith. You're at the pit. But notice this. Mary went out to Jesus and fell at his feet and said, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When when Martha went in and said, Jesus is asking for you, Mary could have said, I never want to see him again. She could have run to the other side of town to hide from him because she was angry with him. Do Do you do that? And then wonder why God isn't there for you. There was a faith in Mary that she at least went to Jesus. She knew Jesus loved them. She still loved Jesus, but she was at the bottom point. And Jesus was deeply moved. Here there's something significant. We see uh, the care of Jesus for our griefs. Jesus entered into their griefs. There's a mystery here. Let's just read the passage, verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Jesus didn't have to do that. There's some mystery here because it sounds like Jesus was coming. He's just talking to the ultimate, talking to the ultimate. Then we saw how sad they were. He, he changed his mind and he would do the immediate. But we have to remember from the beginning of the chapter, Jesus purposed from the start to glorify the Father by coming and doing this, demonstrating the marvelous, miraculous power of God over death itself as evidence of the ultimate claim When he says, I give you everlasting life, it's not pie in the sky, religious jargon. It's actual fact. It's true. And he proves it by raising Lazarus back from the dead. He proves it even more by his own resurrection from the dead. And he purposed to do this. And he could have said, you shouldn't be weeping. You should just be happy because I'm going to fix this. I'll fix it ultimately. I'm even going to fix this now. What do we learn of God that Jesus didn't do it that way? He entered into their grief. He enters into our griefs. The Holy Spirit is the counselor, the comforter. He's our ever-present help in time of trouble. It shows that God not only will fix us, but he loves us. Do you know that? Do you feel that when you're at the bottom where Mary was, when she just was kind of an abject despair and grief? Jesus wept. And the response the Jews around knew what it meant. They said, See how he loved him. See how Jesus loved Lazarus. They didn't understand everything Jesus was doing, but they could see, demonstrated by Jesus. The love of God. Some of them are cynics though. You don't have to recognize that. Some of them said. Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man. Have kept this man from dying. Is that the way you respond? 
If you do, even if you trusted Jesus and belong to him, if you just kind of hang there, you're kind of like Thomas saying, I believe, let's follow him, but it's going to be really bad. I'm just dying here because he doesn't really care. Couldn't he have fixed this? How often do you, trusting in Jesus, knowing him, knowing he died on the cross, knowing the eternal life you have before him, say, but you could have fixed my problems and you didn't. You didn't make the other people in my life love me the way I need to be loved. You didn't fix my job thing. It really went sour and it really hurt. You allowed this health thing into my life. You could have fixed this and you didn't. If you do that, you may still have eternal You will. If you belong to Jesus truly, you'll have eternal life. But you won't enjoy the ride to get there. It'll just be hard. <laughs> follow him but we're gonna die instead of trusting him to say this is he he does care and when i can't see it when it's not proven that's when your faith in jesus makes the most difference to know he loves you and he cares for you he is weeping over your griefs but he has a plan to glorify not only himself and the father but to bring you into that glory So that when you get to heaven and you see what God did through it, you'll be just filled to overflowing, my cup overflowing. And you can taste that now when you're released. When you're in that marriage and it's just locked, tied into brokenness, and you discover how to love the person that's not loving you, the other person may not change. But you know what? Your needs are not met by that other person loving you. You discover by giving the love of Christ, the depth of the love of Christ for you. It's like breathing spiritual air. Isn't that something? Jesus, verse 38, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. This is the one who said, I know even now you can do whatever you ask, that God will do whatever you ask of him. She had the faith, but when it came right up to the reality of it, I know you can, but this is what you want me to do? This stinks. You want me to stay in this marriage and love this person that doesn't love me? This stinks. You want me to forgive that enemy who stabbed me in the back? This stinks. You want me to accept this this health problem as from your hand and and, and say you still love me and trust me? This stinks. (laughs) When they came right up to it and Jesus said, roll that stone away. Martha said, he's he's been dead four days. This is going to stink. But they did it. Anyway, Jesus said, did I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? What's wonderful is when in those circumstances that just seem like they're going to stink to high heaven. When we do what God calls us to do and discover his love for us and through us. It's it's that living waters, the, the well that just comes up within us that refreshes us and brings life. It's the fresh wind that blows the stink away. And you know the joy of the Lord is your strength. So they took away the stone. 
Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus. Now, when Jesus said Lazarus, he accomplished the miracle. He didn't go and say, hey, if anybody wants to come out of the tomb, believe in me and I'll I'll raise you to life. He said, Lazarus, and he raised Lazarus to life. Come out. Can, Can you imagine being Lazarus? All of a sudden, you're awake and aware inside the tomb wrapped in grave clothes and the light's coming in because the sun is rolled away and the voice of the Lord is saying, come out. What are you going to want to do? Get out of there. You're going to, you say, no, Jesus, I'm really comfortable here. Thank you for giving me life, but I I want to wallow in this a little bit longer. He came out and he was in those grave clothes and the, the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and the cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. He actually needed help to set aside those grave clothes. Can you imagine if Lazarus had said, I kind of like these clothes. Isn't that the way it is, though, sometimes with us? Spiritually, this was a physical resurrection. When God calls us to faith in Christ and he calls us by name. I just use my, my own to represent you all instead of singing out one. And God says, Harry. Before I was dead to God, I had no heart for him, but he raised me spiritually from death to life. He says, come forth. Come to me. To come to Jesus, we admit our sin. We know that he is the the son of God and the savior of sinners. And we receive him as savior and Lord. And we come and embrace him. He says, come forth. Come follow me. When we're alive, then we don't say, no, I want to stay here. I kind of like my sinful life. And he says, take off those grave clothes. Put off the old nature. Put on the new. But how often do we stop there? We say, but I do like this. It's got a pocket that I use for my valuables. I like my grave clothes. Let me, I want to follow you, but I want to hang on to this too. No, we want to get rid of the stench of the old nature. And follow Christ. That's the call. Do you respond? And I ask you in the end, what do you have to be thankful for? Luke 10 tells us that Jesus sent out the disciples. They did miracles. They came back thrilled and said, even the demons submit to us. And Jesus said, I saw that. I saw Satan falling from heaven. I saw that. But then he says, don't rejoice just for that. That's what he means when he says, don't rejoice that the demons submit for you. Don't just rejoice for the earthly blessings. Don't just rejoice for these, these victories. Here's the big thing. Your name is written in heaven. What are you thankful for? Does it begin there and overflow into this life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would enable us to hear your call to us If it's to one who's never known you, just to hear you call our name, to raise us to life, to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. If it's the call, take off those old grave clothes, put off the old nature, 
Let us hear your call. And let us follow you through thick and thin, for better, for worse, till death, which can never part, because you take us to life eternal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.